Hi, I'm Dr. Lisa Dunn, and thanks for joining me here today on The Communication Architect. Each week, we'll share content that will empower you to grow your personal leadership capacity through the development of communication competencies that build emotional health and relational resilience. We'll unpack some practical applications of interpersonal, intrapersonal, family, and organizational communication. And we'll connect with stories of transformation that will inspire you to achieve personal and social change. Now, let's build the scaffolding you need to become a communication architect. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm Dr. Lisa Dunn, a lifelong homeschooling parent, author, and president of Chula Vista Christian University, a four-year university training up the next generation for the marketplace. We are mentor-driven, Bible-based, and debt-free higher education for the next generation. If you're new to the show, we are in a season of unpacking American education and really looking at those developmental stages and what our kids really need from their sociocultural environment. Be sure to scroll back on my podcast for some tips on breaking free from the system, getting started on the education journey, interviews with new and lifelong educators, and a whole host of research that I hope will equip and inspire you for the road ahead. You know, we've been talking, of course, about the 12 toxic traits of the public school environment, which I outline in my book, Outsourced, Why America's Kids Need an Education revolution. You can find that at cvcu.us on the president's page on Amazon and on outsourcethebook.com as well. Mom and dad, it is time for us to step up and rescue the next generation. You know, the number one predictor of socioacademic success is actually an involved parent. So make sure you go to outsourcethebook.com or cvcu.us to find all of our resources. I want to shout out more churches who are stepping up to the rescue mission this week. We're excited to welcome a church from Syracuse, New York. Uh, pastors, if you want to know more about how you can play a vital role in rescuing the outsourced generation, just click the Start an Academy tab at cvcu.us, that's Chula Vista Christian University, and you can get uh, get in touch with our plug and play model, which will help you be up and running in just four weeks. In fact, if you're listening to this right at the beginning of the Christmas break, we can get you up and running in January. So be sure to message us for more information. Go to cvcu.us and click the Start an Academy tab. And we're having so much fun with the early learner group at CVCU that, and I was talking with parents about uh, the the power of the, those early childhood years. I was talking with our directors, you know, we have a national academy directors meeting every month for all the homeschool academies that we started 24 right now across the United States um, and the incredible fruit that we're seeing in these early years. And so I wanted to spend some time today talking about the importance of the early years and maybe break off some of the common misconceptions about children. You know, when you're looking at that first year of life, gosh, such a radical time of transformation. And one of the early developmental pieces that we see, um, appearing is the, the appearance of the personality and the will. And it's so fascinating, obviously as a parent looking in the rear view mirror and seeing, you know, now we have two godly children who are, who are just incredible and, you know, kind of can go through and kind of evaluate what did I do well and what should I have improved on? It's just a really fun conversation. Uh, but I remember in our oldest child, Ethan, when he started walking and 
you know, I knew human development and I wanted to develop this sense of self-government. So instead of moving everything in the house to create this kind of child-centered universe, we had tried to teach him that there were some items that he wasn't allowed to touch. Now, this was this was a good idea on paper, but it did have some significant flaws. But, you know, your first child is always kind of the, the guinea pig experiment. But at 10 months old, we saw Ethan's very clear act of defiance, his first defiance defiant act. And he was, he was moving very quickly toward this electrical outlet on the wall. And obviously I didn't want him to touch it. So I said, Ethan, no. And Ethan stopped in his tracks and he turned around and he looked at me and he gave me this just unforgettable mischievous look. And then he turned right back around to touch the electrical outlet. So, you know, that first act of defiance, I needless to say, we bought outlet covers, you know, we learned our lesson there, but, um, there are some things that had to be off limits. Uh, but as babies grow and develop, we start to see those individual wills and we start to see the beginning of their personalities. I know a lot of moms come to me about their quote, strong willed child and, how much work it is. And it's true. It is a lot of work in the early years when you have a strong will child, but the harvest years are coming because to see those gifts and talents that were, they were just budding. They were in their infancy, in our early childhood, those strong willed children who dig their feet in with everything. Let me tell you on the other side of that, they are children who know their identity in Christ. They are not swayed by anything that's happening around them. It is such an it's an incredible transformation and such an honor really to see the transformation of a child, that little immature skill set of, of, of a strong will that develops into uh, just a sturdy ship that can hold its ground. It's just an anchor. It's really remarkable to be able to see that because our, uh, it's our joy as parents, we get to witness what God's made our children to be, what he's designed them to become. And we, we partner with him as we're teaching our children new concepts, I know it's very popular today to put kids in front of a screen. We've talked on the show many times about the dangers of putting our kids in front of a screen and um, the learning styles that are developing that we're having to deal with as educators as a result of a lot of screen time. Uh, but I wanted to share a little bit of developmental research that I hope will will convince you otherwise on uh, the importance of screen time. Uh, you know, parents are often under the impression that putting a child in front of a TV or a more more commonly a tablet today to to watch a learning video will help their child learn new concepts and language and stimulate intelligence. But and I know this is we're well-meaning parents who are doing this; they have the best intentions for the child. Um, but the most important element to growing intelligence in children is actually the attachment and the emotional connection that the parent and the child possess. So this is not something that we want to outsource. You know, emerging research on babies' brains tells us that the parent-child connection is vital to the development of learning. Michael Goldstein, who's a language development researcher at Cornell, says that babies, quote, divide up the world between things that respond to them and things that don't. And Goldstein notes that babies don't learn. He says they literally don't learn from videos and recordings because the electronics don't respond. A machine doesn't feel intonation and listen to babies and follow their cues the way a human can and should. Um, another neuroscientist, Lisa Elliott, says that if you want your baby to be smart, Cut out the videos and play with the babies. Goldstein says, the only thing we know of that makes babies smarter, listen, is talking to them. Now, of course, we live in a society that tries to produce a gadget for every need. 
It's good for us to know that a child who's cared for by a loving and attached parent has all they need within that relationship to become what God's called them to be, right? Um, Babies need human interaction with loving parental relationships in order to learn, in order to grow. And thankfully, by divine design, there's really no gadget necessary. So don't buy the lie that it's the latest and greatest. Hey, we see these studies all throughout school systems as well. You know, people will say, oh, it's it's because we don't have ABC technology. No, it's because we've lost the connection to the parent. I know a lot of people um, who are putting their kids in traditional school environments and you know, looking at the the outcomes at the end of the day, I encourage you to go back and read Ken Ham's books, every one of his books on uh, on the scholastic model. He's done some tremendous research on the scholastic model, the private model, the public model, the private Christian college model, and the failures of those models. And, you know, the one recurring theme that I see over and over and over is that lack of an involved parent. Remember, the number one predictor of socioeconomic success is an involved parent. And I know it's a tall order. The parenting skills that are that are required for those early years, you know, it's not unusual to feel unprepared for the first night or the first year or the first few years. You know, there's a sense of apprehension. And no matter how many books we've digested, no matter how many parenting classes we've taken, you know, it's easy to feel ineffective or insufficient. I had a um, a mom tell me she was she had her first child at 19 and she felt so unprepared because she was young. I had another mom tell me at the age of 30 she had her first child and she felt so unprepared as a mom. I mean, it's it, it really is less about the timing and more about the sociocultural conditioning and the environment that we find ourselves in. You know, a lot of uh, early in American history, raising uh, raising our siblings and being part of a community where we help to raise others' children, that was more normal than it than it has become today. And today, as I've quoted Bronfenbrenner before, saying that a child can grow up, go to school, graduate from college, and never held a baby or cared for the needs of another human being. I mean, this ought to be prerequisites for adulting, (laughs) you know, caring for the needs of another human being. But because many of us have grown up in these kinds of environments, we often feel unprepared. We feel unexperienced. And so that's another reason that I'm so excited about the homeschool academy systems that are developing across the United States. You know, I build these on a multi-generational mentor model where Older students are pouring into younger students where older moms are pouring into younger moms. And we're really seeing the restoration of this rich tapestry across the U.S. where the Titus and Timothy mentor model is is being resurrected. We're seeing it come back. And it's it's so exciting to see this in action. There was a phrase in development, human development, just gosh, it was just years ago that we called it the play years, ages two to five. And when you, I love comparing textbooks. I know that sounds really nerdy, but I love comparing the older textbooks with the newer textbooks to see, you know, what's being weeded out. And the newer editions of developmental textbooks now refer to two to fives as early childhood. And I think part of that shift in vocabulary is the American question, which we've talked about before, Piaget's question, uh, the, uh, the Western drive to push children to grow up faster. It could be also uh, the political push that we see in our country toward government education, where schools are pushing for mandatory preschool, mandatory kindergarten, lowering the age of mandatory education so that the government has more control over our children, not less control. 
that creates tax dollar support for low-income children, uh, but it also means mandating formal education for U.S. for all students across the U.S. And again, giving that cradle-to-grave government indoctrination opportunity, which we want to stay away from. <laughs> you know, when we look at those major milestones from ages two to five, we see dramatic growth in the cognitive arena, the biosocial arena, the spiritual arena. And you know, a few weeks ago, we talked about the the brain experiencing its most significant synaptic increases during two key phases of life, the toddler and the teenage years. And when you think about those two years, you know, those are kind of, for some parents, the dreaded years. Um, parents who've, who've parented those years can think about it and, and look at similar displays of behavioral patterns like outburst of emotion, inability to play nicely with others, defiance, fierce autonomy. And if those conditions are ripe in the home to facilitate that kind of behavior, then, and if a parent kind of expects and permits that terrible two or terrible teen syndrome uh, to reign in the household, then we can be reasonably certain that the teen version of the same terror will reign in the home a decade later. (laughs) If we've got the terrible twos, then the terrible teens. But again, those are mindsets and those are expectations that I want to encourage you as parents not to speak over your children's lives and not to, uh, not to hold as, as predictable ceilings of behavior because Uh, Because when we look at the foundation, when we lay down a foundation on principles of discipleship, like the ones found in Deuteronomy 6 in Proverbs 22, where we provide careful daily training, authentic, loving discipline, nurture and admonition. There's a balance of both of those. You know, we're doing our final exams for CVCU today and, and our students at the end of that time, they have to give an oral presentation of everything they've learned the whole semester, really intense, very rigorous. And at the end of that time, we give them corrections and commendations and they take notes on what they did well and where they need to improve. And, you know, many of them are 17 or 18 years old and it takes great humility to just sit and say, thank you. Thank you for your feedback and receive that kind of correction and commendation. Now, if they've been raised in a home where they were both nurtured and admonished, in other words, they were given praise where praises do, not false flat flattery or, or praising the mediocre. Yay. You made your bed and you're 20. That's amazing. Um, you know, where they were given praise where praises do and where they were also corrected. They were disciplined. Remember Hebrews says that a father disciplines, that God disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. That discipline is part of our delight in our children. I know it seems odd if you haven't been raised in that kind of environment, but but creating those types of emotionally balanced standards of behavior in the home, that is, that's going to, that's going to help you moderate the tension, the angst, Um, when we think of teenagers as being by nature, insolent, disrespectful, rude, this is a gross generalization of character. That's, uh, that's because of the way children have been raised. That's not, that's not God's design for our children to be terrible twos or terrible teens. So looking at the developmental phases and understanding what's happening in their brains can really help us to partner with the process of development that's happening, um, in their brains and in their lives. And It's only when children have been permitted to behave in a completely undisciplined manner all their lives that we really see that fruit of contempt. Aristotle said, we are what we repeatedly do. So 
you know, as parents, we want to look at the marvelous gifts, the creative gifts that come to life in early childhood and how we can steward those gifts, both as parents and as pastors. And, you know, I really do believe it's those two entities working together that's going to shift the the culture, that's going to turn the tide for the next generation, pastors and parents. And that's why I'm so passionate about the Homeschool Support Academy model, church-based education, restoring the local church to the center point of academia. We're taking it out from its marginal uh, position right now in culture and bringing it back to the center of relational development, of community, of entertainment even. You know, churches doing outreaches where they're impacting the city. I was talking with a friend in who has a church in Shreveport, Louisiana, talking about the incredible works that they're doing out there. We're obviously, we're seeing it in San Diego. I've shared about that on the show before, but being able to restore the local church. And that's why I'm so passionate about having these local homeschool academies that are part of the DNA of your church and your opening your doors to your empty church, your church that's just sitting empty all week. And maybe you've had a bad experience as a pastor where you had a, you know, you had a private school and you saw the worst of it. The things that I talk about when, when kids get dropped off and their parents don't take the responsibility for discipling them when they when they shirk that mantle of responsibility. We see almost the same spiritual failure rates as we do in the public school. I mean, that's tragic. Uh, I know there are a few exceptions here and there, but by and large, the the role, the mantle of responsibility is on the shoulders of the parents, and so. If we can carry that responsibility and have the church partner with parents to raise up a generation of culture shapers, of world changers, really working together, I firmly believe that we'll be able to shift the tide, turn the tide, shift the culture for the next generation. When we talk about milestones in the early years, you know, we have different things like sensory development, motor skill development. It's rapidly emerging. It's rapidly changing between the ages of two to five. You know, the, the, the brain, even in early childhood, um, the, the growth in the brain, the boundless energy that children have in early, early childhood. You know, there's something new every day to learn, to explore. In that first year, they make great strides in their physical, physical abilities, and they start to gain mastery over their bodies and their environments. And then when we get to age two, you know, children are, are usually pretty steady on their feet. They can walk. They can walk up the stairs, jump with both feet together. They can move to music. They can coordinate their bodies in basic aspects of tumbling. They're still physically very top heavy as, as two-year-olds. And so they can fall and trip a lot. This is frustrating for them if they have an older sibling who can run really fast. And so, you know, as parents, we want to continue to encourage them so that we can alleviate that frustration, but they do have to learn to push through. You know, we've talked on the show before about resilience and how important it is that our children develop resilience. So if we rescue them every time, uh, they won't, they won't learn resilience. Um, they're still going to be messy. They'll still use their fingers in eating. You know, they'll, they can drink from a cup. They can string large beads together. They can scribble with crayons and markers, put rings on a peg, turn knobs. You know, there are a lot of things they can do by three. They can usually kick a ball, run, climb. They're 
whirlwinds in their activities. They're totally oblivious to risk. That's our responsibility as parents. Um, and behaviors like overestimating their physical abilities at a playground, running with food in their mouths, trying to swim without supervision. They're, they're, they're a lot like an adolescent. You see the, the comparison, right? In a brain development, in the brain development there, there's this sense of autonomy, which we'll talk about um, in a little bit, but this desire to do it yourself. And these are, these are parts of the developmental phase phases that we need to partner with and help children grow and mature. I really want to focus in, uh, I'm probably going to do this on the next show uh, a little more because we are running out of time on this show, uh, but I really want to focus in on how play-based learning has such a significant role in the development of some of these milestones. And again, going back to Jean Piaget's question, the American question, you know, why are Americans in such a hurry to push their children through academically? I think we can slow down a little bit and I think we can allow um, some room, some margin. I don't think we're great about that as Americans. I don't think we're great at allowing for margin. In the next show, we're going to talk about some of these phases of development and some of the things that you can do, fun tests we did with our kids to help them uh, to help partner with that brain development and what's happening in their minds. This is so important for us to lead as parents because traditional education is broken beyond repair. And I'm calling pastors and parents to task. I'm, I'm calling you, go to the Start an Academy tab at cvcu.us, click it, read it, let us partner with you to get your kids out of the traditional system. It's not just the content. It's not just the inoculation, friends. It's the indoctrination that hasn't stopped. Uh, it's not just the content. It's the methodology. And if you're in 11th or 12th grade, you can apply to CVCU as a college student. Check out our scholarship page for thousands of dollars in scholarship opportunities, even though we're still the the least expensive uh, university on the West Coast. Uh, be sure to check out our our offerings there and be sure to check out Outsource the book. That'll help you really understand everything we're talking about in a much more detailed fashion. So churches, pastors, parents, let's step out of the rat race, the educational rat race, and let's step into the successful model of parent-directed education. Again, I'm Dr. Lisa Dunn, and thanks for joining me here on today's show. We'll be back next week with more of those developmental tips that will help you stay connected throughout the lifespan. We'll see you then. Thanks again for joining us here on The Communication Architect. If you have questions about today's episode or if there are topics you'd like to see us address, send your comments via Instagram to at Dr. Lisa Dunn or via email to contact at drlisadunn.com. That's D-R-L-I-S-A-D-U-N-N-E.com. And remember, strategic communication will help you build greater emotional health and relational resilience. So don't miss the next episode. I'm Dr. Lisa Nunn, and I look forward to talking with you next time right here on The Communication Architect.